Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Hey, that's awesome. Hey, as you're on your way to your seat, somebody yell, I got the fire. I got the fire. Hey, I'm so glad everybody's here. It is, it is, man, there's just one of my old uh, mentors used to say, you can feel the effervescence of heaven. And I feel like that was worship where I was, I was picking up some of that. I hope you were too. Hey, last week we started the series Marriage by the Book. And we started with a message called the old couple's advice. We were looking to Abraham and Sarah, and today we're going to take a little darker turn. We're going to talk about the cold couple's warning. We're going to go a little further, a little deeper into the scriptures, and um, some might be wondering, why am I here, dude? This is like the marriage series. We have even people that don't come because it's the marriage series because maybe they're single or you know that maybe they're don't, not planning on getting married anytime soon, but at the end of the day, we're going to look to God's Word, and God wants us to know God's Word. He wants us to know what He says about things and what He thinks about things. So even if you're not married, it's still really important because He wants us to be able to recognize what is a Bible marriage and what is the difference between that and something else. And so as we study the true, you're going to be able to recognize when you see the not as true. Ephesians 5.32, Paul tells us that marriage is a picture of Jesus' relationship to His people. And there's a mystery there. We don't quite get that. But one of the reasons we study marriage is because we'll actually understand our relationship to Jesus a little bit more and who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to carry ourselves anyway. Because either way, if you trust Christ in some kind of spiritual sense that we don't totally get, you're married to Christ and there's going to be a great wedding feast that you're going to participate in and you want to be able to have revelation and understanding. Sometimes we think if it's not immediately practical to us, uh, we just don't want to have anything to do with it. But God is in, into growing us and growing our mind and growing our understanding. So I want to encourage you to tune in. Sound like a deal? So years ago, one of the things that really scares dads happened to me as a young father. Okay, so we've got kids. We're in our townhouse, and it's the middle of the night. And my wife gives me one of these nudges, and she's like, have you heard the furnace in a while? And it's like, you know, 2 a.m. or something like that. Have you heard the furnace in a while? And so I'm listening. I'm like, no, I don't hear it, you know? And so we wait, and we wait, and it's getting cold, you know? It's, it's like, there's, I, don't, I don't know if this is right. And so we wait a little while, and I'm like, okay, I'm the dad. I'm supposed to know what to do. If this furnace is out, what do I, you know? And, and, and probably for dads that know what to do, this isn't a scary moment at all. But for the guy who is like, I got babies, you know, and your mind starts racing, and they're all going to freeze tonight if I don't go do something, you know? And I go down there, and just sure enough, man, this thing is not on. And I don't know what to do at this point because I feel like everything's supposed to be on me, but the fire has gone out. And when the fire goes out, some bad things can happen. So we've been in this series, and last week, Abraham and Sarah taught us that, hey, um, no matter what you do, just keep helping each other up as a married couple. Now we're going to learn more about teams and being a team as a married couple, because it doesn't matter how excited you start. It don't matter how much in love you begin. After a time, things can begin to drift apart. And you don't, you're not necessarily interested in all the same things anymore. You're not feeling like you're going in the same direction anymore. You're even kind of social distancing in your hearts 
even if you're very nearby one another. So we're going to look at Isaac and Rebekah. They're the next ones down in the Abrahamic family. So I want you to go there. Remember, we're, we're kind of taking our cues from Hebrews 12, and we're picturing this great race, this great racetrack that we would run around, and it's a heavenly vision of sorts, and you can see it. There you are, and there's people in the stands from every tribe and tongue and nation, and they are cheering you on as you make your trek around the track. And there's others on the track, but you see some kind of mentor figures like Abraham and Sarah who come up to you. And if you're married, you're with your spouse and you guys are making your way. You're running the race that was set before you. And somehow you know it's Isaac and Rebecca and they kind of pull up next to you as you are running. And she's carrying a torch. And she says, this is the torch we should have not let go out during our time on earth But because it burned low, we almost lost one another. We almost lost any sense of intimacy, and we almost lost our children. And then Isaac looks at you and he says, a good beginning doesn't guarantee a good ending. Marriage should be a light to others, but it's hard to stay bright without the flame. And here's the danger, because if we let the torch go out, the flame of the fire for Jesus Christ, things are going to get really dark and really cold, really quick. Now, Isaac and Rebecca, if you, if you were to see them early on in life, you'd probably think, I'll bet you these guys, they're going to do it, man. This is going to be a, a great, they're going to succeed no matter what they do. Because they came from places, I mean, look at Isaac. Even as a young man, he willingly offered himself to be sacrificed as Abraham was tested. He was like, no, I'll, I'll do it. Like, there's some real nobility and commitment to God's ways. These are two who, in their younger years, as we look at them, we understand their older years a little bit better by looking closely at their younger years. They were willing to pray through questions. They didn't understand what God wanted to do. They knew they were a part of the family line of what God was going to do in the earth at some point. And so they, they sought God and they asked questions and they prayed for one another. In fact, let's take a little bit of a look. Genesis 25 We're going to start when they're a little younger, before the kids are born. Verse 20 says, when Isaac was 40, he married Rebekah. Okay, so this is the girl that Abraham's servant had to go get and bring back into the land of Canaan. Verse 21 said, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. That sounded like it happened fast, but it didn't. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. It's really important to understand what happens later. So she went to ask the Lord about it. She went to ask the Lord about it. I'm so glad she did. Now, how the Lord speaks is not always super clear like it seems it was to her. But the point is that she went to find out. She's like, something's going on with my babies. I'm going to go ask the Lord any insight he can give. Why is this happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. Edom and Israel. It's Jacob and Esau. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Now, that's a strange prophecy, okay, because in their time, culturally, the older son was the greater, okay? That's how it worked. Like, the older son got a double apportionment of the inheritance. Nobody would think that it would go to the younger son, that he would be greater. This is how they understood stuff. So that's a strange prophecy to get. And then in verse 26, it says, Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. So check that out. They were 40 when they got married, and Isaac started to pray because she couldn't have kids. 
20 years goes by, and he's still praying, and then they have kids. That's a faithful man right there. He was faithful to pray, and he was faithful to his wife. This girl can't get pregnant. I'm going to keep praying for her, though. I'm going to keep going before her. She keeps asking the question, God, help me understand what's going on in my womb. Isaac loves his lady, and they value the idea that for some reason God picked Abraham and their family. Here's what's going to happen, just so we understand the, the, the super story, okay? This is the story of the Bible. God picks a family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they're going to go into this land, and they're going to trust God for amazing things, and ultimately, he's going to raise up a nation that knows his holiness and knows his laws and ways to help the rest of the world understand what God thinks is right and true, and someday through that nation is going to come Jesus Christ, the Messiah, so that the rest of the world knows not only God's holiness, but also his tender mercy. That is the call. That is the prophetic words spoken over this family. That is what Abraham valued. That's why he and Sarah left Ur of the Chaldees. And that's why he stayed in Canaan was to have this kid. I can't go back. I got to have this kid. And our line has to carry on in this because somehow God's going to use all this. Well, Isaac valued that promise when he was young. But you know, as time goes by, fires begin to grow dim. And for some reason, it doesn't seem as we look at them in an older age that they value the promise or one another in the same way. And that's very different than Abraham and Sarah because when Abraham and Sarah, when they were getting old, when it was time to, you know, all right, we're going to probably die here soon, he was concerned about the promise of like, well, we've got to fulfill God's, God's image, God's word. We've got to make sure that there's a wife here for Isaac so the promise can go forward. When you think about other like big names like King, King David, what did he spend his latter years doing? He's like, the next stage in the plan of God is we got to get this temple built. And so he spends all of his money, all of his time. I, I can't, God doesn't even let him do it, but he's like, I'm going to tee up Solomon. So as soon as I'm dead, man, he can go forward and make this thing happen. He was concerned about the plan of God. What was the Apostle Paul concerned about? He's like, Timothy, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to die soon. I need to pour everything I got into you so you can preach the word of God. The thing's got to go on after I'm done. But it doesn't seem like Ab or Isaac and Rebecca, it doesn't seem like they're... Their head is in the game when the kids are all grown up. Now, 27, verse 1. Isaac was now old and had become blind. He sent for his elder son Esau and said to him, My son, yes, he answered. Isaac said, You see that I'm old and may die soon. Take a bow and arrows and go out of the country and kill an animal for me. Cook me some of the tasty food that I like and bring it to me. After I've eaten, I'll give you my final blessing before I die. Pause. This is weird because they're doing this kind of in secret. In other places, the patriarchal fatherly blessing, this would have been a big family to do. This would have been a big deal. Everybody lines up and gathers around, oh, Pops, you know, he's about to go. He's going to lay hands and, you know, bless everybody. That's not what these two are doing. He's like, all right, shh, just go, go, go get me some food and we'll, you know, we'll have some time together and then I'll give you this blessing. They're doing this behind closed doors. And that's weird. That's just weird. We're supposed to notice that that's weird. Verse 5, while Isaac was talking to Esau, Rebekah was listening. Okay, strange. So when Esau went out to hunt, she said to Jacob, okay, I just heard your father say to Esau, bring me an animal and cook it for me. I haven't, after I've eaten, I'll give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. So she's been eavesdropping, whether she has a spy that's reporting to her or she's just kind of listening through the tent, we don't know. But she's not being very forthright that she knows about it, nor is he being very forthright that they're doing it. Now, my son. So she got a plan too. Rebecca continued, 
Listen to me and do what I say. Go to the flock and pick out, this is ridiculous, go out and pick out two fat young goats so that I can cook them and make some of that food your father likes so much. You can take it to him to eat and he will give you his blessing before he dies. Now to Jacob's credit, he is the only one in the family. Everybody's doing evil, but he's the only one that trembles a little bit in fear of God. Of like, I don't think this is a good plan. He's like, uh, mom, first, he's going to know it's me. Even though he's blind, he can feel me. I'm very different than Esau. I smell different. I stay indoors. He goes outside hunting. I'm not hairy like he is. Like, we're bound to be found out. And mom's like, oh, you don't got to worry about that because I got a plan. Verse 13, his mother answered, let any curse against you fall on me, my son. Let's just be deceptive together, she says. Just do as I say and go get the goats for me. So he went and get to get them and brought them to her, and she cooked the kind of food that his father liked. Then she took Esau's best clothes, which she kept in the house, and she put them on Jacob. Then she put skins of goats on his arms and on the hairless part of his neck. She's like, this'll do it. She handed him the tasty food, turns them around together with the bread she had baked. She sends them in, hey, buddy, you got this. Go ahead, we're gonna steal the blessing back. Dad's trying to steal it from you, Jacob. He remembers the prophecy from before you guys were born. He knows you're supposed to be the one getting the blessing, but he's trying to, he's trying to have a little inside meeting with Esau, but we're going to take advantage here. Nobody's telling the truth. Nobody's confronting. She didn't just go in there and be like, um, you can't do this. Like, what are you trying to do here, Isaac? Come on, man. She didn't do anything like that. So how a good beginning can end in disappointment. Number one, the favored couple didn't keep the fire burning for God. The favored couple. This is a favored couple. Look at where they came from. This is Abraham and Sarah's kids. They, their, their birth, his birth was prophesied. He was born when his mom was 100 years old. I mean, this guy is a big deal. But they're growing cold and they're losing focus. Remember, the only reason they're even in the land of Canaan is to pass on the blessing, the family line, so that the nation of Israel can be born. And it says that in verse 1 that his eyes were dim so he could not see that is the text alerting us, not only is he physically cannot see well, but he's spiritually getting dimmer. He's spiritually going blind. It, the, the scriptures do this in another place in the book of 1 Samuel with Eli. Yes, he's going blind, but this, the text is also saying, notice this, it's like he's spiritually getting blind as well. And you know, he's, his body is, you know, breaking down, I guess. Maybe he's getting a little bit older. He's a He's 137, and so maybe he's thinking, I'm probably going to die soon, you know. That's old in those times, a little bit, long, little bit longer, but his brother Ishmael died at 137, so maybe he's like, you know, when your contemporaries start to die, maybe get a little bit more pessimistic. You're like, well, i got to be me soon. What's strange, he lives another 43 years. He doesn't die for a long time. Yo, I'm 43. He lives an entire Carter life before he dies. Okay, he's got plenty of time, but what is he doing? He's backing up spiritually. He's opting out of what should be his priorities. Instead, he's just embraced this situation where he's like, well, you know, I'm probably going to die soon, so I'm going to try to get my will to happen here. What a tragedy it is when spouses who were once burning hot coals for Jesus Christ, they don't pray together anymore. They don't seek God together anymore. They don't bring up the good things of the Lord anymore. That, he's not focused on that with Rebecca. He's just like, look, let's just get this thing out of the way. I'll go ahead and die. He had a lot more time to go. Why is this wrong? Why is it bad that he backs up spiritually? Because it is an affront 
to Jesus Christ to treat him as common. It is an offense to Jesus Christ to treat him like, hey, I can just be indifferent to you. That's why he says in Revelation 3, 15 and 16, I would rather that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm makes me want to spit you out of my mouth or makes me want to throw up. Jesus says, hey, you got to decide I'm either all that or I'm none of that. Either I'm everything awesome that I say I am or I'm no big deal at all. And he says, people that are called by my name need to get this and pick a side. Which one am I? Am I all important or am I not important at all? We should have the highest devotion to Jesus Christ, especially just for who he is. But if not for who he is, for what he's done. But even if not for what he's done, for the numerous biblical warnings of what happens, the consequences of treating him casually. Jesus Christ died for a bride that is all on fire for him. That's what he wants. That's what he's after. The Puritans, they didn't get everything right, but they got a lot right. The Puritans are like my heroes, man. They're like the Avengers of the church, okay? Um, and they get a bad rap because they're like made fun of puritanical, which makes you picture people that just want everyone to be unhappy all the time. But that's not how they were at all. The word Puritan was a diss. It was like a, a it was an insult to say, here's these people that, you know, what they really were was they were on fire for God in the scriptures. But the real nominal folks were like, ah, forget about them. They're just puritanical. They really just wanted to serve and love Christ. Well, during the reign of Charles II, it became illegal to have church services that were any higher than like five people. So if you wanted to go to church and you were a Puritan, you had to travel five miles outside of not only your town, but any town. So you couldn't be within five miles of any other town. And then you could meet and you could hear the scriptures. But you know what else they did? They promoted this idea that in the household, you don't even need to go to the church because in these dark times in the household, you have a church. And dad or husband is the pastor. And he's responsible. Somebody say responsible. He's responsible for the spiritual growth and direction of the family. So let me ask Husbands, just for a second, are you taking the weight of that responsibility? Are you receiving that? It's not to stress you out. It's just to point out, hey, um, it is on everybody else, but it's also even weightier on you. Are you identifying husbands as, I, gotta, I, I can't pull an Isaac here. I can't just die before my time. I can't just relax and just say, oh, well, you know, it's probably, probably close to over anyway. Maybe I'll just you know, go to sleep. How many couples have lost the fire and they've just exchanged it for some redonkulous version of churchianity that has no power because it has no fire. They don't even care to care because they stopped their pursuit. How can you tell if this is happening to you as a couple? Well, number one, you don't pray together. You don't talk about the good things of God together. You don't ask what's going on in your relationship with God anymore. You don't make decisions based around what God wants you to do. Even though that's not clear, you don't even maybe ask the question. You just kind of forget. Pastor Brandon had a really good illustration or story to share about this. So let's hear from him on the video screen.
So I think it was about six years ago, uh, my wife took a position working at a company, and this was a place that she was really excited about working. Um, she had dreamt about working at this company for a long time. She knew the family really well. Uh, and in that particular scenario, we were away at a water park. So she had already interviewed for the job. It went well. We went away to a water park, and we were like in the hotel room eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or something. And she got the, she got the call, and it was super exciting. And they offered her the job. She hung up excitedly like, let me talk it over with my husband. I think I asked questions like, What's the pay and what are the hours? Just practical questions that we needed some clarity on. And she called back and in the excitement, she got those answers and in the excitement, she just accepted the offer, accepted the position. And we both kind of celebrated for a couple of minutes after the, the phone call ended. And, and then at the exact same time, we both kind of had this like sinking feeling like this pit in our stomach, like, huh, I wonder if we should have prayed about that first. Oh, well, it's probably fine. It seems like the Lord, right? And, and we went on to the water park and had fun. And I would tell you in that season at that job, uh, she was there for a few years. And there was a lot of good that came out of it. Like the Lord blessed a lot of, a lot of that season. Financially, we got ahead. Um, she loved the work that she was doing. Like I said, she loved the company, the family that, that was a part of it. Um, but there were also some significant pain points that I wonder, we, we wondered back, would the Lord have spared us these trials if we had just paused and prayed? Even just a quick little, what do you think, Lord, kind of prayer. So like a pebble in our shoe, like we would, we would come to these pain points. It was, it, there were you know, periods of just imbalance in the home, I would say, and just kind of instability where the home life suffered because the hours were, were exceeding what they should have been and stuff. So... There were moments where we regularly in that season would, would go back with regret and think, man, I really just wish we'd prayed before we jumped into this thing. So I would tell you, there's a ton of value, a ton of benefit. Just pause, talk it over with your spouse, and then go to the Lord and, and seek Him for wisdom and ask for His blessing on any decision you're going to make. We don't want to underestimate the value of spiritual burning passion. Mario Andretti. Uh, many of you know about him. He's a race car driver. He won the Daytona 500, the Indianapolis 500, and the Formula One World Championship. So he knows what he's doing a little bit. He, asked, he was asked this question, what makes a talented race car driver? Is it fearlessness, reaction, judgment, or strategy? And he answered, all of the above, plus burning desire and confidence. I say burning desire because of the risk involved. If you want something so badly, you have a burning desire to do it, then you aren't distracted by fear or risk or anything else. I wonder how many times we pull back in fear because we don't have a burning desire. We don't have a burning passion to say, I want Jesus so much. I want my life to be in the plan of God and doing, being found doing what God wanted our family to do that I'm willing to press through fears and concerns and not knowing what's going to happen. So what do we do? Well, if we find ourselves in a place like Isaac, first, we just simply repent. Like Jesus is full of grace and mercy. We just go to him, we say, Jesus, um, I allowed the fire in the furnace to go out. Would you forgive me? But we also recognize in our repenting that we've backslidden. Backslidden means we've backed up. We took some steps backward. We didn't, we were less far than we used to be, kind of like Isaac was. 
And perhaps for some of us, we've never had a relationship with God like that. Like it's always kind of been for us about, well, you know, just kind of do good and be as good as you can for God. And just to clarify, you'll never have fire that way. That's not how you get fire. That's really not entirely true. It's not that there's no meaning to that or that God doesn't appreciate that. But the starting place is I can't do enough right. I need Jesus to just save me and forgive me. And then he's going to live the Christian life through me and give me a hunger for the things of heaven. We, and then we ask, here's what we do that Isaac and Rebecca didn't do. We ask for sorrow for not maintaining steady on in the agenda of God. You got to ask for sorrow sometimes. Sometimes you know you should feel bad about something, but you just don't. That's why the Spirit can give us a grief of knowing. It's not that he wants me to walk around feeling condemned all the time, but he wants me to be in agreement with him that this thing was not his way. It was not his good plan for my life. So the first step and how a good beginning can become a disappointment was, number one, the favored couple didn't keep the fire burning for God. And number two, as drift increased, darkness increased. And this is happening in so many marriages everywhere. See, as that fire burned low, you can see in the text they embrace deception and manipulation. And that becomes the culture of their marriage. For having started so strong, it's super weird that that's where it ends up. I mean, look at Esau. He's trying to like manipulate Jacob out of this place that it was said that he would be in. Now, first, let's just pause here. You can't outwit God. So that was just, them doing anything about this is dumb. One of the points of the book of Genesis is it doesn't matter what humans do. It doesn't matter how evil they are to each other. Just look at Joseph. It doesn't matter what they do. God's purposes will stand. So really, they didn't have to do anything. But they're working against one another not on the team, they're manipulating, and she's eavesdropping, okay? Now, to her credit, she's right. You know, she's right that Jacob is supposed to be the guy, but she's going about it in all kinds of wrong ways. Do you see the irony? She's trying to get God's will by doing things that aren't God's way, and that will never, ever work or be blessed because God's will, not God's way, isn't God's will. That's not how he wanted to do it. So she bleeds into all kinds of manipulation. What is manipulation? It's the art of controlling people or circumstances by indirect, unfair, or deceptive means, especially to one's own advantage. Now, let's contrast that with persuasion, okay? Manipulation is bad. What about just persuasion? The act of convincing people by urging, reasoning, and appealing to one's mind. Manipulation, you're kind of doing things undercover. You're not letting people know how you're trying to move them. Persuasion, you're just saying, hey, let's just talk about it. Here's the facts, and here's what it is, and you, can, you remain free to do whatever you want. If you want a Bible picture, think about Delilah. Okay, Delilah and Samson. She's pleading with him again and again, oh, Samson, if you love me, if you love me, you tell me what makes you so strong. And she's just manipulating him. Contrast her with Esther. Esther, who's in genuine grave danger for her life, goes into the king and says, look, here's the facts. Here's what's happening King, it's up to you to do whatever you want. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm just telling you what it is so you remain free and get to do whatever you want. How many spouses are really trying to just control one another a chunk of the time? Instead of letting them be free, you're trying to move pieces on the chessboard so they're kind of backed into that way or backed into that way. Maybe that's how you saw it. Maybe that's how your folks did it. Maybe that's how someone in your family did it. Just so you know now, yeah, that's evil. That's wicked. That's demonic. That is not honoring their freedom 
in the Lord. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Don't try to lock them back up and they're not having choices because you trick them into stuff. How many know if you have to trick your spouse into something, that wasn't a good thing, that you, whatever it is you're trying to do? Yeah, that's not going to be blessed. And just think about how the negative impact of what Rebecca is doing, just so you know what happens after this, okay? So Jacob has to go away because Esau's going to murder him, okay? So she essentially lit the spark. They already had tension, but now it becomes murderous. Like Esau's telling people he's going to kill his brother. But once Jacob goes away, he's gone for like 20 years. We have no record in scripture that she ever saw her son alive again. She's not mentioned again after this. Later on, yeah, they both bury Isaac, but she's never in the picture. She might have lost the very relationship. What is the point? Sin has big consequences. Even manipulation, just doing stuff behind the scenes. It has dramatic consequences for her and for them. She's the cause of this. And here's how manipulation tends to go in marriages. It often comes through implying where you're just implying things. You're saying stuff, you're trying to use your emotions to spin something a different way. You're implying. Hey, um, well, if you don't meet my expectations, then I'm just not going to speak to you. If you don't do what I want you to do, then I'm not going to respect you anymore. If you don't meet my standards, I'm just not going to pay any more attention to you. If you don't meet my needs the way that I say they need to be met in the time that I say they need to be met, I'm going to make you feel guilty. How often does that go on behind the scenes all the time? Here's what we need to get to, spouses. We need to wake up every day and say to ourselves if we don't get it. You don't even need to say it to your spouse, though it might be helpful from time to time. Wake up every day and say, that person is a daughter or son of the Most High God and I don't get to control them. They are not my thing to rule. They don't have to do anything that I say. They answer to him. They don't answer to me. They're not my thing to manipulate. I don't, get to I don't need to deceive them. I don't need to try to wrestle them into anything. And here's the great news. If you're in Christ, see, this is what Rebecca needed to she should have said, this isn't who I'm supposed to be. I shouldn't embrace manipulation as a part of my DNA. I shouldn't embrace deceit as a part of my DNA. But if you're in Christ, you don't even need to deceive anybody. You don't even need to manipulate anybody because you can just say, you know, Jesus is so awesome. He is truth and he lives inside of me. So it doesn't make any sense that I would try to be deceiving anybody. And plus, he gets me what's mine. If I'm really supposed to have it, Jesus can get it. Don't you wish that Isaac and Rebecca would have gotten that revelation, God will just get it for you. Why are you causing all this pain and turmoil in your family? But what, what did they do that we also do? They don't really trust God's time. They don't really trust God's way. They're like, I better, take, I better take control here. So the thing happens, and what's really going wrong? Well, for many of us, what might be going wrong is you've had such a hard heart for so long that now this is normative to you because sin took you step by step by step by step. Sin rarely says, hey, let's jump all the way over here. It's just a little compromise, one step after a time, after another. You begin to cut corners somewhere, and now it's just part of how you roll. You don't even notice that you do it. Maybe like Rebecca, your pursuit of God 
somewhere along the line, she used to ask God questions about, well, what, are these, what is up with these twins and what are they doing? And you don't ask questions like that anymore. And as a couple, you don't ask questions about the Lord anymore. And you've forgotten maybe like Rebecca, um, there's always compounding negative consequences when we lie. It never gets better. It never gets better. It only gets worse. And spouses, when it comes to goals, don't you wish that they would have just gotten on the same page? Hey, um, let's do like we used to do, Rebecca. Let's just have a meeting of the minds and talk, what, what are we trying to do with these kids? And what does God want us to do? Do we need to do anything? Or can we just let this thing alone and he's going to make it just fine? Should we try to like reconcile these two boys instead of having them hate each other all the time? So here's what I want to challenge every one of us to do. I don't know how the Spirit of God might be speaking to you through this. But maybe one of the things that you need to do if you're married is you need to have just a session. Maybe you need to be a little quieter. You don't want to do this in a rush. You need to have a truth-telling session with your spouse. And it's time to get really blessable, but really vulnerable. And say, here's some places I've been trying to work a gig that I haven't really been telling you about. Here's some places I've been probably working against your goals because I'm trying to get this goal, but I haven't been super honest about how I'm trying to do certain things. Here's some places I've lied by omission, and I told myself that that was okay because I didn't technically lie, but lies of omission are lies. You're telling a lie of omission when you don't inform them of something they would want to know or God would want them to know. So maybe you need a truth-telling session. Maybe for some of us, it's just, I just need to repent before the Lord for trying to manipulate. That is what Satan did in the garden. Maybe you need to just repent for being deceptive. Or maybe you just need to start with, you know, we just haven't prayed together enough. We're just going to grab hands. We're just going to pray. And maybe you wish the other one would do it. Well, tough. Life is tough. Yeah, that'd be nice, but if that hasn't happened yet, it might not happen. So don't wait for that. Just decide, and you could even say, I wish we would pray together more, so I'm just going to start. And you don't, even, you don't even know how to do it. Okay, well, just do something. One lady just reads them. She's like, well, I don't know what to pray, so I'm just going to read them. She writes it before they go to prayer. Well, that's good. Hey, man, that gets you going. That jump starts the thing. Whatever you do, you might encounter places where there's going to be some consequences for your truth-telling, meaning you're going to tell the truth and it's going to go a little bad at first. Can I encourage you? Do it anyway. Do it anyway, because Jesus first, he'll bless your head off for doing it, and he will help you bear up under the consequences of whatever those lies were. He'll help you. He'll get you through it, and he'll get you past it, and then he won't carry it around with you anymore, but that's what he wants to happen. Let's remember the advice of Isaac and Rebecca. Mar marriage should be a light to others, but it's hard to stay bright without the flame. Here's some good news. It's not too late. It's not too late. If we have pulled an Isaac and Rebecca, you still got time. You don't need to just lay back in the hammock and die. You still got time. Listen, Jesus is the only one who's ever finished the race perfectly, so you don't have to take that pressure. But Jesus is the one who will come and fix your furnace. So that, that middle of the night morning, I didn't know what to do, so I called my Uncle Chris. He's really good with this kind of stuff. So he came right over, like within the hour, he was there. 
you know, he understood I got babies in, in, in the place and I need them to be warm. And so he gets down on his knees and he's, you know, two shakes of a lamb's tail on this thing. It's, it's going again because he just had that kind of skill, that kind of anointing. He's in heaven with Jesus right now. God's probably got him working on stuff up there. He's in heaven with Jesus, but Jesus is here. And Jesus will fix your furnace. Maybe we have some marriage furnaces that need relit. Don't you give up. Don't you give up. It's not too late. You're still young. Hey, Isaac, you've got 43 years left. Come on. you still got time. Let's invite the master to light up that fire and see what he can do. Let's pray. Lord, there might need to be some tough conversations, so I pray for courage and strength for everybody within the sound of my voice, that you would just help them have the conviction to just do it, to just expose this thing, and you would help them to get through whatever is on the other side of that. And we want to pray for our marriages. We pray for the fire of love for God and his purposes through our marriages. We pray that fire would burn hot again. We pray for couples to be honest about places maybe they've been trying to work their own agenda, maybe trying to do things without consulting you. And we pray that we would become a people in every generation represented in our church, a people that know that marriage is for you. We offer you these marriages again. And we say, Lord, come live inside of them. Help us not embrace deceptive ways. And when we do, help us to ask forgiveness quickly. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.